Welcome to Phone Booth Fighting, everybody. We had a lot of fights to talk about. It's a big fight weekend, Frank. By Frank, I mean Frank Mir. That's you, right? Um, those nights. <laughs> yep, including this night, the uh, two-time UFC heavyweight champion. I'm Richard Hunter. Together we do this podcast, Phone Booth Fighting. Frank, we got a UFC pay-per-view coming up Saturday night, UFC 218, with the title on the line. We got a Bellator card coming up uh, Friday night. We've got uh, an Ultimate Fighter finale live coming up Friday night. Lots of fights to talk about. Before we do that, though, we must celebrate the name of Freshly. Let me tell you something, Frank. I was so excited today because I put in my weekly order at Freshly.com. If you don't know Freshly.com, if you haven't heard us talk about this uh, in the last couple of episodes, it is a uh, all-natural, uh, always-prepared-fresh, never-frozen uh, meal prep site. And you go to Freshly.com, you put in your food order, meals are delivered right to your door. And I'm feeling so smart for doing this, Frank, because what I'm starting to realize now, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very busy, you're very busy, and uh, time is of the essence, and I like to have everything organized. And I feel so, for me in particular, I feel so smart right about lunchtime when uh, I'm at the brothel and uh, I'm getting hungry because uh, a fella can work up an appetite there. And, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times whatever's going on in the kitchen, uh, is not necessarily, uh, uh, friendly to those who are conscious of their nutrition. And I reach into my bag and I pull out my freshly.com meal three minutes and it's ready to go. And, uh, I'm eating like a king while, uh, the, uh, prostitutes are forging for scraps or having porridge. Beat that. There's no way I got to say that. There's no story I have that'll be uh, able to compare with them. <laughs> the minute you say brothel, you got me beat. Everybody's interested in what you have to say. <laughs> but you yourself and the uh, the the vast Frank Mir family uh, enjoy the benefits of Freshly because Freshly is delivered to your doorstep. And uh, you guys, I mean, you're training for a big fight. The kids are all in sports. Mrs. Mir's running around, and uh, that's where uh, having Freshly in the refrigerator really comes in handy. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Not everybody uh, necessarily has to worry about fighting their way through a brothel to get to the kitchen, but for right. the rest of us that just have very busy lives, uh, it works out to be a great convenience uh, to be able to grab something that's nutritious and, and well-balanced uh, on the go and uh, and be quick about it. Uh, just uh, it's, a, it's a great commodity. It's delivered right to your doorstep. You go to Freshly.com. There's a tremendous menu there. Uh, all all diets are serviced if you're a carnivore no problem if you're a vegetarian they got that uh the meals are gluten-free uh for vegans like myself they have options so uh no matter where you fall on all that they got you covered here's the best part a money-saving offer especially for listeners of phone booth fighting what you do is you go to freshly.com you put in the promo code phone booth at checkout that is going to save you forty dollars off your first two orders you're going to get six meals shipped to you for $39, and uh, you're going to eat those six, you're going to enjoy those six, you're going to say, man, I wish that deal was uh, w was was good again. Guess what? It is. You order another six meals for another $39, and you'll save $40 
total on those first two orders. Free shipping on every single order as well. So go to Freshly.com. Uh, let us know what you're ordering. You know, message us uh, on social media. Let us know what you're enjoying at Freshly.com. We'll work that uh, into the spots, and uh, we'll compare palettes, uh, you and me and uh, Frank Mir. Freshly.com. Frank, uh, this episode also brought to you by Low T Nation. LowTNation.com is uh, hearing from more and more of our listeners on a weekly basis. Guys who are uh, advancing in age a little bit, uh, maybe don't have as much get up and go as they used to. They're starting to feel those slow effects of aging. That's where LowTNation.com comes in. Explain to them how simple the process is. Well, you just call up uh, <coughs> Brandon or Jason. You will speak and get a free consultation. Find out through just a, you know a couple of questions and in the conversation if you're even uh, you know um, candidate a candidate for the process. If that's the case, they can talk to your general practitioner or discuss it with you. Get you lined up to the right information on, on how to go ahead and uh, get the blood work done. Once that's scheduled and they have it in their lab, after that, all the hard work is done on your part. Just now, be consistent and uh, with your uh, your your treatment. It's shipped directly to your door. They will put you in contact with a uh, clinic in your area, no matter where you are in the United States. And that uh, one visit for the preliminary work is basically uh, all that's involved. After that, everything just comes right to your doorstep and uh, you start feeling the benefits immediately. And uh, we know this because, like I said, we're hearing from more and more listeners every week that uh, are benefiting. And uh, I always say that, you know, when Low T Nation first came on, I didn't realize how many of our phone booth fighting listeners uh, were, were going to be candidates for this and were already being affected by it. And uh, it's been a real eye-opening experience. So go to LowTNation.com, free phone consult consultation a couple of phone booth fighting listeners just like yourself are standing by to take your call they'll take it from there let them know frank and richard sent you to lowtnation.com all right frank phone booth fighting is underway for the 163rd time my friend how time uh flies and uh uh show everybody what we got there i got a new little uh, toy for us there uh, that's because uh, normally you don't see this on the video if you're watching on our Phone Booth Fighting YouTube channel, but I have to count us in to sync up the audio with the video. Normally what I'll do is I'll go Phone Booth Fighting episode 163 in 3, 2, 1. But I happened to be at a uh, toy store the other day violating my court order, and I saw this little item, and uh, I picked it up for like five bucks. It's one of the, I don't even know what you call these things. I was wondering what it was called. Yeah, there's, uh, it's, if you're not watching, uh, what I'm holding up here to the camera is a little thing uh, where, uh, you know, when the they're making a movie and they go, action, like that, and you hear the little clapper sticks. It sounds like the thing when they give you the 10-second warning in an MMA fight. But uh, it's uh, and it usually has like the the scene and the take number and everything written on it. So I got that, so I don't have to say three two one anymore because saying three two one was becoming really laborious. So and I wanted you to have something fun to do too, so you get to to hit the clock. Involved with some aspect of production now. Yeah, are you looking up what it's called? I'm trying to. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know what you'd search for that. Do you know Travis? What you would call this? Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You don't use a lot of these on the uh, construction site? We don't. No. 
No? All right, Frank will find it in a second. We got lots of fights to talk about. Hey, I do want to issue an invitation, though. If anybody's going to be in the Las Vegas area this weekend, Friday night uh, to be exact, it it's is. It's called a clapper board. A clapper board. There you go. Okay. A well, slate board. A slate board. Okay. Using for syncing audio and film easier and to identify takes and scenes. That's it. Uh, Friday night, which is uh, December 1st, as we tape at midnight, is my uh, roast battles final. Uh, the uh, this, this roast battle that I've been involved in at the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino, uh, if you've heard us talk about the last couple of weeks, basically I get on stage and I insult fellow comedians. And uh, I've advanced through two rounds now. And the finals, so we, we, it was a, a field of 16, we're down to the final four on Friday, and uh, the uh, this one is is got a bit of a twist because I match up against a guy and two other guys match up, and then if I advance, I have to compete in the finals like ten or fifteen minutes later. It's like the old days of the UFC, Frank. I'm, I'll be like Hoist Gracie in this thing if I can uh, get through a round. Do you want to hear just before we start talking fights? You want to hear just a little bit of yeah, audio please. from? Uh, okay, now this is my uh, battle last uh, week uh, with a guy named a comedian here named John Gilligan. So I, I beat him to get to the finals this week. So just kind of give it a listen, see how it goes here. John has transitioned from being a naval officer to a construction worker. So when you consider that out of six characters in the village people, John's been two of them. His something closeted gay vibe starts to make a lot of sense. Oh shit. So my rebuttal would be, I'm not even gonna rebut that. I'm just gonna stand here and make disappointed dad faces. You're used to that. Good. That's very good. I really thought they were fucking around when they said Richard Hunter. What kind of monster names their kid Dick Hunter? <laughs> Normally when a comedian does other comedians' jokes, it's not when he's on stage. With him. <laughs> that was, was kind of mean, dude. He's seen my act. <laughs> with a bunch of teenagers at a fast food joint, and you always think to yourself, you know, there's only two acceptable explanations for this. He's either on parole, or he's on the spectrum. Don't touch his ears. It breaks out if he touches ears. Your skin is the color of a used color. <laughs> Pause it there. First of all, did everybody get my autism joke? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. yeah. I I, I didn't know if I didn't say autism if that would necessarily hit with everybody. Uh, not everyone I know what the spectrum is because I know right. like you have Asperger's. Yes. On the yes. Highly functional. Yes. You know? And then he came back with his rebuttal about uh, having the complexion of a used condom, but it was kind of a 
generic. It was a general comeback. It wasn't specific to no. my my insults. Okay. All right. Give it a, give it another minute or two here. <laughs> Richard embarrassingly ran for mayor of Fort Worth, Texas, in 1996, and that debate was referred to by his opponent as that creepy long-haired faggot. <laughs> I know, John. Being liberal gets in the way of being racist. <laughs> John's still bitter because the day after he bought his robe and his hood, his clan chapter dissolved. John's perpetually red complexion always makes him look like he just got done humiliating his kid by screaming at him on a little league diamond in front of a bunch of horrified parents. <laughs> and the clipboard is not helping. <laughs> now, now, my, my joke there was a little wordy, but what I was going for was the 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 parent the horrible parent yeah. who screams at their kid at a at we've all a, seen one right right yeah i've seen my share yeah all right well anyway go ahead so you won this one i did well i'm going to show you my my crowning moment here oh, it okay. comes in in a second like i said i read his bio on on phone booth fighting webpage he's got an 85 word biography i swear to god word 77 is vegan <laughs> yeah i'm a vegan Oh no! Oh. What just happened there? We lost our audience somehow. Okay, hit pause. See if you can see if we can back it up there for a second. Wiggle the cord there. Go back because this actually this was nice not only for the uh, phone booth fighting podcast plug, which was nice of John. Just back it. Try hit play again. And uh, all right, pause it. Yeah, we lost. Okay. Well, I'll I'll tell you what happened here because this was actually my knockout blow. He, you know predictably goes for the the vegan thing right you know of course we all us vegans have to tell everybody we're vegans and so he reads the bio and uh, now john here has had multiple heart attacks so i didn't want to have to make that funny but he gave me no choice because he took the shot at me for being vegan so he says yeah i read his bio and you know halfway through it says he's vegan and I said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm vegan, and uh, ironically, I'm getting shit from a guy whose heart attacked him repeatedly for refusing to ever feed it a vegetable. Uh, and I said, I'm, I'm lucky the uh, roast is being judged on laughs and not cholesterol levels. And then it was done. So, what did, how did, he, what was, did he have any comeback for that? He actually said that's pretty fucking brilliant. <laughs> he, he could say it was, it was the equivalent, Frank, of when, you know, the guy rings your bell and you give him the look like, oh, good, oh, good shot. shot. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, if you would like to see some more of that, then uh, Friday night is where I uh, attempt to, to take it all. I'm trying to get a start. Now that both of us, Frank, are involved in high-stakes tournaments, I'm trying to get a started out on the one. I'm trying to set the bar. You know what I mean? So you head in to the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix with feeling my momentum. The momentum of the show. That's right. All right. So if you want to come out Friday, it's a free show at midnight at uh, the Stratosphere inside the L.A. Comedy Club. UFC 218, Frank, is uh, Saturday night. We've got Max Holloway in the main event defending his featherweight title against Jose Aldo. Now, Aldo is a late replacement. This fight was supposed to be Frankie Edgar's uh, until a couple of weeks ago. Edgar got hurt, and Aldo steps in. This is a rematch of their fight from just this past June when uh, Holloway TKO'd Aldo to unify the the featherweight title. Uh, first thought, you know, 
seeing a rematch this soon, just months after the first one uh, occurred, and given the fact that Aldo was winning at least the first round and maybe the first two, I believe all the judges actually had him ahead by two rounds uh, before uh, Aldo before uh, Holloway finished him. You think there's a chance that this turns out any differently than the first one did? You know, I think just stylistically, it's kind of a bad much bad matchup for Aldo, unless he can knock Holloway out, and he hit Max with some pretty good shots in their first fight. Uh, Aldo has always been very strong for the first few rounds. You know, three rounds, he's a solid fighter. Uh, rounds four and five, he's always fallen off. You yeah, know, you know, uh, he's either coasted, and and previously he would dominate guys so much. I remember when he did that to Uriah Faber. And it looked like basically just let Uriah off the hook. He could have finished him. But then in later fights, you realized, well, well, no, Aldo is a very much of a high-octane sprinting athlete who gets a lot of first-round knockouts. But that longevity to be able to keep up that intensity for rounds four and five, you know, he's sapped. And so uh, if he can't get Max all out of there in the first round or two, which he had that opportunity already where he was doing what he wanted to do, land the shots he needed to land, and Holloway just kept coming forward, Max is a cardio freak. The guy just resilient and never stops moving forward. So I, I think even if you told me that we're watching and we're going to round five, they're like, all right. And they're like, hey, and Aldo's won every single round. I'm like, okay, is Max still in there? Like, yeah. I'm like, he'll win the fight. Mm-hmm. If this makes it to the last round, Aldo's in trouble. I don't think he can get out of the fifth round. The to me, the knock on on Aldo, and it's it's hard to have a knock on Aldo because he's he's had such an incredible career and was such a not only a dominant champion for so many years, but consistently at that you know top of the pound for pound list. But the thing I always thought about Aldo was that. He took a lot of fights, five rounds that look like they he probably could have finished them in three or four, right. um, and it would be those 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 fourth and fifth rounds where you could see he was tailing off a little bit, but he was still winning the fight. He just wasn't winning it as convincingly in those rounds as he was the first couple of rounds. Um, that he he got by with that for a number of years. But I think maybe the fact that he's, you know, advanced a little bit in age, um, uh, coupled with the fact that, that you know, he, he ran up against Holloway, who not only was, uh, was one of the youngest fighters in the history of the UFC, but also caught him at such a, such a peak time where this guy Holloway really uh, swarms you. He really comes at you with a barrage. And that, that, to me, as much as anything, seemed like the bad combo for Aldo. That this was not a guy that you were going to be able to take into the fourth, into the fifth. That it was just too dangerous to try to play that game uh, over the, the course of the fight. Of course, he got in trouble in the third. But he also um, you know, really didn't show any of his kicking game. And those kicks have always been such a key tool for uh, Jose Aldo as well. We really didn't see that in the first fight with Aldo. No, not at all. I think he really, you know, his jab and cross, his two straight punches are, are just really one of the, some of the best in the, in the business. Um, I think, again, regardless of what he brings to the table, I think the biggest enemy for, you know, Jose Aldo, the reason why I'm taking Max Holloway to win the fight is that it's five rounds. Mm-hmm. If this was a three round fight, I might actually take Jose. I'd be like, Oh, you know what? For two rounds, I think he can smash Max and know that he only has one more round to go and yeah. hold on and cruise through to a, a decision victory. Um, you know, pr- 
pretty much anybody who fights at 45, they're going to fight for five rounds. If Max Holloway's the opponent, I'm not really going to bet on him because it's like, uh, has Max ever been knocked out or finished? Um, is the answer no? Well, no. Uh, um, uh, McGregor, wrong. McGregor beat him, but McGregor, beat McGregor him took him to a decision, right? Yeah. Hold on, let me let me just verify that while you're talking. Um, I mean, and there's a fight. I mean, if McGregor, who hits as hard as he does, probably the hardest puncher in the featherweight division. If he can't put him away, who's putting the guy away? And if he fought McGregor tomorrow in a five round battle, mm-hmm. McGregor also fades. Yeah. Here's uh, here's an impressive stat too. Uh, Holloway has only been taken down three times in four years, so good luck, uh, you know, in, in employing any uh, any ground technique with him. Can you pull that up, Travis? I can't find it on my. Uh, I'm actually trying to use the UFC's uh, Fighter Profile app, and it's uh, it's not telling me right offhand. I want to feel like Holloway's never been finished. What? Uh, yeah, go ahead and look that. Up. He's, he's He's only he's had he's had three losses in the UFC, only three losses in his career. Uh, while you're uh, while you're pulling that up, we'll uh, there it is right there. Yeah, just pull up. I'll just go Wikipedia. That's fine. Oh, it's about to be Max Holloway's birthday. Happy birthday, Max Holloway, December fourth. Uh, losses three. He's been submitted once and lost two decisions. So no, he's never been knocked out. Yeah, is your answer. Um, how about this co-main event in your division featuring a former opponent of yours, Frank? Uh, number one ranked Alistair Overeem takes on number four with a bullet, Francis Ngannou, the undefeated Frenchman who um, is, I mean, as hot of a prospect as the heavyweight division has seen in a long time and, and really that the promotion has had. Uh, going forward in some time, they're obviously putting uh, a lot of a lot of uh, well-deserved promotion behind Nganu, uh, who KO'd Andre Arlovski in his last fight this past January. This guy's five and zero in the UFC with four knockouts and one submission. He started training MMA four years ago. How crazy is this? Four years ago, he started training. He turned pro after training for four months. And then two years later, he made his debut in the UFC. Skyrocket rise. Pretty impressive. Very talented athlete. I think that, you know, still I think that uh, he will be a force to reckon with for many years to come. I just think that, you know, fighting somebody who's had almost 60 professional MMA fights, that's a lot of experience going for uh, Overeem, who he's a pretty smart fighter now. I mean, he doesn't really uh, take a lot of chances the way he moves around and uh, and has a very well-rounded game. I mean, Overeem could knock you out with knees, his hands, uh, and then if he takes you down, the ground and pound is pretty ferocious. So I just, you know, I think Ngano is extremely talented. I just can't overlook all the experience uh, that uh, that Overeem has, who doesn't look like he's a beat up older guy either. It's not like he's you know worn and torn. He seems pretty healthy. No, it's a good point. In fact, this will be Overeem's 60th fight. Uh, it'll be his third fight this year. He uh, has wins over Mark Hunt and Fabricio Verdum. But we talked about that, how the point you just made that that uh, Overeem has, as he's gotten older, become a a a, a smarter fighter, a more tactical fighter. And in the case of Nganu, you know, I, when I see some guy, you know, with all this hype, 
what I'm always watching for is when is going to be the, you know, the first step up in competition, the first win on the resume that, that really looks to, to set itself apart from the others. And you could make a case certainly that that is Andre Arlovsky, but um, at the same time, Arlovsky is a guy who, um, you know, who is, is an older fighter. I mean, for that matter, Overeem's an older fighter at this point as well. But you, you wonder if there's still just at least maybe, uh, you know, a, a partial incomplete there as far as what exactly is Francis Ngannou at this point in his young career. He's not a, a he's already in his 30s, so he's not a particularly young fighter uh, to, to be five fights into his UFC career. It's just that he, he got started later. But, um, you know, it does maybe stand a reason that Overeem could take him deeper than he's been before. But then at the same time, we've seen Overeem, you know, wilt under pressure pretty quickly. I mean, even when he comes out strong, you know, yeah. uh, in, in the last couple of years. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, it certainly is going to be, I, I would, I would think this is a bigger test for Nganu than even, uh, Andre Arlovsky is, but I guess I do feel like there's not that durability to Overeem that even somebody like Roy Nelson has, where you could look at the fight and go, okay, I think he's going to beat Roy Nelson, but it's going to be three rounds of work, you know? Yeah, yeah no, I understand that. Um, and Overeem has been known if you catch him just right, you know, he does fall down. And there are times where it seems like he, uh, you know, he can just wilt in a fight. Uh, but I think that, you know, again, just uh, there's such a difference in technique and skill level that I, I don't know if it's going to get pushed you know i mean mm-hmm. you saw that a lot you know in another fight recently with a, the up and coming was a Derek lewis everybody was really on the hype train right. Derek lewis i think he had like six you know uh, you know uh, highlight real wins leading up to then he fought mark hunt who's an older savvy technical guy who's had a ton of experience and you know just couldn't do much and got finished yeah and what if by chance the fight goes to the ground because while there's, like I said, there's there's still a lot of uh, incompletes on the resume of Nganu, and we primarily think of Alistair Overeem as a as as a striker. Um, you you had some uh, you had some rave reviews for his his groundwork. I believe no. your left or right side you were telling uh, me felt a little cage. bit of that right still hurts yeah <laughs> some days uh no his grounded pound and his ability to stop submissions and understand where he's at he's extremely savvy at that it's just that he also won a k1 tournament mm-hmm. so it really gave a lot of accolades to his stand-up and you know he's still you know very vicious knees and but uh you know you've seen the fights with verdum uh, and, and two rematches since the very first time he lost to Fabrizio. Uh, he was able to stop Verdum's jiu-jitsu, stay inside the guard, you know, and Overeem is very good at the ground and pound. Yeah. The uh, feature attraction of the evening, this fight, this may be the, the, the best fight of the night, is uh, the matchup between the two coaches on the current season of the Ultimate Fighter, uh, two lightweight contenders, former champion and number four ranked Eddie Alvarez, taking on number five ranked and undefeated fighter Justin Gagey. Now, Gagey is the former World Series of Fighting lightweight champion, made his debut earlier this month against uh, Michael Johnson. I was there for that fight. That was an incredible fight. That may be, you know, it's that time of the year where we start looking for our uh, fights of the year. 
And I remember seeing that one and thought, boy, this is instantly in the running. I'd have to go through the the, the archives and see if anything topped it. But off the top of my head, I, I don't necessarily, uh, I can't necessarily think of one. Um, these two guys, I mean, you want to talk about on paper, two guys that are just going to, you know, throw down and, and go at it. Uh, a, a pretty incredible matchup on paper. Now, uh, Alvarez um, has, since taking the title from Rafael Dos Anjos, he's gone 0-1-1. There was the loss to McGregor where he lost the title, and then there was the no contest uh, against Dustin Poirier, which was a real shame because I think for the same reason a lot of people are excited uh, about this fight. A lot of people were excited about that fight, and it really ended prematurely because of a, a no contest injury. But um, there's a couple of stats that jump out at me uh, on, on this, Frank. Um, Alvarez uh, averages 3.41 uh, takedowns a fight while he defends 92% uh, of his takedowns. Gagey lands 10.6 strikes per minute while absorbing 9.3 strikes per minute. That is a guy who hits and gets hit. Yeah, I think it's an exciting fight, but you know, Alvarez of late just doesn't really impress me too much. I think that, uh, I don't know, something's just not clicking for him lately. I just haven't really seen him at the performance that we saw against uh you know uh, dos años or uh, um rdl mcgregor uh, no no before that McGregor oh dos anjos, dos yeah. anjos. Mm-hmm. the mcgregor fight you know yeah. he got trashed right and i don't know if that's in his head still but it just seems like he's out of it and, and gagey is a ferocious fighter he's coming right at you uh he comes at you with great combinations of you know very good kickboxing knees kicks punches and he's willing to take shots to throw shots and he Put you in wars. I think that, I mean, I was here for the dismantling of uh, Dos Anjos. He looked very impressive in that fight. And since then, I mean, yes, he he got smoked by Connor. The The Poirier fight, I mean, looked to be like that was going to be a good fight up until uh, the, the no contest conclusion. I just wonder with Alvarez, and I don't, I don't have any inside reason for thinking this by any means, but, you know, Alvarez is a guy who, you know, spent so much of his career over in Bellator, was their champion, had the, the, the amazing fights with Michael Chandler, left the organization, had the, had the protracted legal battle with Bellator before he could finally get free, and came over to the UFC. So by the time he got to the UFC, he was one of the few fighters outside the UFC at the time that the UFC would have instantly wanted. You know, would have been like, oh, he's free, got no problem. Let's get him right over here and move him to the front of the line. They got him. Now he's finally going to get his, you know, long-awaited shot at the ultimate prize, that UFC title. Got it. Defeated Dos Anjos. Now he's on top of the mountain, you know, at at a, a, a relatively a later point maybe in his career. And I just wonder if after you do all that, after you hit the peak and the pinnacle and all that, then you run into Conor McGregor, who is, you know, the larger-than-life face of the UFC. So that kind of doubly sucks because not only does he take your title, but because he's Conor McGregor, that thing's going to get replayed a whole lot more times than it would if it was just kind of a rank-and-file fighter. If maybe there's a bit of a – I guess what I'm saying is maybe all that leads to a bit of a career aden- uh, adrenaline dump. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I don't know what you call it, but uh... – 
there can be that point of self-reflection where you just you've lost the drive mm-hmm. a bit of identity crisis you know yeah maybe maybe know, that's a way to put it wondering you know why do i have to keep doing it is he going to really drag himself back up to the title shot and and ever get another shot at connor does he feel like he could ever beat connor uh so you know he's accomplished it he's won belts in bellator and now in the ufc uh, there might be a lot of contentment on his part not to really, you know, some guys, you know, uh, success kills their drive. Now, quick as we say that, this is a real opportunity to turn that around for Alvarez if he can take advantage of the situation, just like I thought the fight with Poirier was, had had that uh, been able to play itself out. Because, you know, a lot of times when you need to sort of reclaim that that drive or at least the you know peak the interest of the fan base you need a willing dance partner you need somebody who's not just going to come in there and strategize you need somebody who's going to let you be the complete fighter that you are at least have a shot at being win or lose and it seems like on paper justin gagey is perfect for that yeah it's definitely be a highlight type of fight um on either side of it, whether he wins or loses, is going to be a you know a great performance. You have, a, like you're saying, a dance partner. And Gagey makes for exciting fights. I don't think I've ever watched any of his fights. He's had what 19, 20, almost twenty five of them. Now, I think. Oh, you're talking about uh, you're talking about Gagey. Yeah. He's eighteen and 0. 18 So this will be his nineteenth fight. Nineteenth fight. Um, they're all exciting. The yeah. guy just runs up in your face. He throws kicks from all different areas. If he feels something hurt, he keeps attacking it, you know, and, and just, uh, you know, he sits there and, you know, he's not hard to hit and you will hit him, but then he's going to hit you back twice as much. Absolutely. Now that's going to be Saturday night, UFC 218. Uh, that's a really good looking card. What is, is kind of maybe getting a little overlooked because of it, because it's, it's, it's shadowed by it. Not 24 hours earlier is the ultimate fighter finale. That's going to be here this Friday in Las Vegas. I was over at uh, a media event today talking to uh, the, the, the four women's strawweight, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, flyweight finalists, and uh, we'll talk about that. But I need to take a quick bathroom break. So here, with an update on the progress building the Raiders Stadium, is Travis. <laughs> take it away. I guess I'll jump in here and uh, give a shout-out to our, <clears throat> one of our listeners. You know, I, I, I don't know how much you see him, Frank, but we get a lot of, a lot of messages from uh, a lot of our fans, hundreds of them, and uh, they're all super positive. But this one kind of stuck out to me. I'll see if I can pull up. He's uh, He said he's been a, a fan of the show from the beginning, and uh, he was part of the Fund Anything campaign. He uh, he got a shirt signed, and he's got gloves signed from you, piece of the, the canvas from, I think, the, the second little nog or the big nog fight. Uh, a bunch of other things but there's a picture up on screen I'll, I'll see if i can pull it up that's cool yeah it's crazy he just wanted to make sure you guys saw that and uh i i told him i'd give him a little shout out and you know the old software t-shirts yeah wow. yeah yeah he put a lot of work into that and i told him <laughs> i thought it was pretty cool that is cool yeah yeah we, we get a lot of cool messages and uh i've actually started getting a lot of messages on my, on my personal like instagram and twitter and stuff like that and uh, I get to have a lot of cool, cool conversations with, with people. I've actually met a guy named Ricky Leonard. He lives in Honolulu, Hawaii. He's been listening to the show since the beginning, but he actually does the same thing as I do for a living. He's an operating engineer in, in Local 12. And so him and I started talking back and forth. And so if we ever go to Honolulu, we, we've got a guy over there that said he'll take care somebody. of us. And then uh, I've also been talking to a girl. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, female fans that uh, – they, uh, they they know their stuff when it comes to FOMU fighting and, and, and a lot of the fights. 
but uh, she lives down where I grew up in Southern California. And uh, so every time there's fights on, she'll start messaging me. We'll talk back and forth about about how we how we see the fights going on and stuff like that. So uh, it's pretty cool. We get we get nice. a lot we, we get a lot of a lot of interaction on our social Any media. Any bad ones yet? No, you know su- surprisingly we, we don't get any bad ones. I mean we we get some uh, some off the wall comments. I wouldn't call them bad, but I just Awkward. don't. Yeah, I don't understand them. You know what I mean? The weird weird things. But uh, as far as our messages and stuff like that, no, it's all it's all really positive. We, we we got a lot of a lot of good people out there listening to what we do. How is the uh, work over at the Raider Stadium? It's going good. We just started. We're in our we're in our second week. We're uh, we're just doing some of the preliminary stuff, running power and some of the utilities, and getting some pads graded for their trailers for all their offices and everything. But uh, by January second, we're going to be going basically around the clock, night and day. It's gonna it's gonna be a pretty cool project. We're pretty proud to be a part of it. Oh, that's cool. I'd like to hear uh, Richard's opinion on the the whole stadium situation. You know, okay, here we go. <laughs> oh yes. What would what, you call it in the text message? Corporate welfare. That's what it That's was. That's the way he uses. Yeah. This. Although this one's got an interesting twist to it because apparently uh, Sheldon Adelson has said, "Don't worry, because whatever it ends up uh, overrunning, he's just going to pay for everything personally." Is that what I'm hearing? Have you heard about this? Sounds good to me. Sure. <laughs> Boy. Which is good because for a minute there, wasn't he going to pull out? I don't know. I, I, I don't know where all of that, you know, where, where that debate occurred. I just know, I'll tell you an interesting story. Quick side note. So I'm from, uh, from Dallas, and there we have this thing that uh, was built on the backs of the taxpayers of Arlington. And we used to have Texas Stadium, and uh, that was too big. And so we had to blow that up and build something even bigger. So now they have a—is it got a name on it? It's Cowboys Stadium. I don't know. They probably hit slap some corporate logo on it or something now. But uh, anyway, Cowboys Stadium, Jerry World. Yeah. So uh, so Jerry Jones wanted to build this thing, and uh, I was doing sports radio at the time uh, there in Dallas, and I said uh, they they tried to to sell this con to the citizens of Dallas, and the city council said, uh, no way. Because uh, it was. It was corporate wealth. AT&T Stadium. There you go, AT&T Stadium. Formerly the Cowboy Stadium. It was It was exactly what the the robber baron class uh, liked to, to belittle the working class for, you know, the freeloaders, all these people with their hands out looking for government assistance. Let me tell you. Nobody knows how to stick their hand out further than when corporate America comes calling for a handout, when they knock on your door. And what they do is they use this this sports fandom that we have in this country as a way to do it. So if, let's say, you know, uh, Walmart is building down the street from your house and they come knock on your door and they go, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Mir, uh, we're coming to your uh, neighborhood, so that's good for economic development. Problem is, we've gone a little over budget, so we're wondering if you can kick in uh, some of your taxes to help us build this thing. You'd laugh them off your doorstep. But if you're a football fan, you do it because you're excited because a football team is coming. Or if you already have a football team, you're afraid they're going to move somewhere else, so you vote yes on this thing. And the, the citizens of Arlington will vote Arlington, Texas will vote for anything. They've fallen for this repeatedly with other sports. So, of course, they they approve it, and it goes through. So 
we had Jerry Jones come up to our radio station because we were a sports radio station and all the other guys on the air were completely on board with this idea because they like sports. Well, I saw the, the, the economic downside of it. So he, they bring him in, and we're all sitting in this boardroom. It's like a, it's like a meeting with a lobbyist. It's like a sell job that he's given us. Because what they want us to do is they want us to get on the air and talk positively about it, about how it's going to be such a great deal. It's going to create jobs and things like that. The problem is the kind of jobs it creates. I mean, it's great Travis has a job right now, but he's not going to be building this thing perpetually. He's going to build it once, and it's going to be done, right? And then maybe if you'd like to work seasonally, as a popcorn vendor or something, you could go back. But other than that, it's not really creating long-term jobs year to year. So I brought that point up in our meeting, which made our general manager frown. My show was canceled about a year later. I'm not sure if one had much to do with the other. But um, then Jerry tried to, uh, he tried to, I was wearing a George Jones trucker hat. And uh, he tried to tell me he saw that, like a true salesman would. He saw that and started immediately trying to sell me on all the great concerts they would be bringing to Cowboys Stadium as well. So there would be something in it for me. But here's the, here's the funny part. So the, the, the center uh, for the Dallas Cowboys at the time was this guy named Tyson Walter. And the thing uh, about him was that he was like a double business major. He had, I forget what college he had gone to, but he was like a, an atypically, actually really smart, you know, professional football player. Like he had two degrees and they were in finance and all this kind of stuff. He was definitely the guy in the locker room that if you were looking at your stock portfolio, you'd want to consult, right? So... We had to go do our uh, show for a week out at Cowboys Train Camp in uh, Oxnard, California. So they bring all these players on, and we interview them and all this kind of stuff. And, um, uh, you know, I was known for doing the more offbeat interview with the players. Uh, for example, uh, we had one guy on who had been uh, shot in the buttocks at the parking lot of a strip club about two months earlier. A little bit so, of a pornographic uh, yeah. Forrest Gump twist. So I created this. Exactly. So, so I'm sorry. So I created this board that had Dallas has a lot of strip clubs in it. And so I created this like Velcro board, display board, where I had the names of each strip club, and I had him arrange the strip clubs in order of most likely to least likely to get shot at. And the uh, the Cowboys PR was not enjoying that bit. They were like, well, let's, let's get this, so we don't need to be uh, publicizing this. So we have Tyson Walter in there, the center, and I know this about his, uh, his collegiate resume and all that, and I said, Tyson, let me ask you a question. And I start pulling out all these stats of these other cities that have voted to fund these these corporate welfare projects. You know, to basically assist billionaires with money to to build stadiums that did not comport with the the market demand. And I said, um, explain to me how this is going to benefit the citizens of Arlington. And I was expecting him to give me the, you know, politically correct answer on it or whatever. And he looked at me and he goes, it's not. He said, uh, when I was in college, I did papers on this stuff. And he goes, they never work. And if I lived in Arlington, I wouldn't vote for it. <laughs> and the next day, he got called into Jerry Jones's office. 
And the next day, he had to issue some sort of like, you know, I wasn't really authorized to speak on that topic, sort of half apology. Yeah. But that's, that's to me, and I'm going to sound like a Republican here for a second when I, when I, I preach this, but to me, you know, I believe in the free market system. So if you have a, a product, I mean, let's use, you know, Starbucks as an example. If you sell your latte for three bucks or four bucks or whatever it is, as long as the customers keep coming in the door, that means you've got it adequately priced. But if you price it at $10 and people stop coming in, that means you're charging too much for your latte. That doesn't mean you need to start going door to door asking everybody to subsidize your latte price. And so what I was saying to Jerry, and I said, you know, how much are you planning to put into this thing? And he said, I think it was like at that point, it was like $350 million because they wanted Arlington to match it. They, I think it was originally budgeted at 700 or 750 million and then I think it went over. But anyway, the original number I think was three fifty from him and three fifty from the citizens of Arlington. I said I said, how much you putting in it? He said three hundred and fifty million. I said, Well why don't you build you a nice three hundred and fifty million dollar stadium then? And don't you know, and whatever you charge for your tickets, that's the going rate. That's what the market will bear. And and it it's a natural process. You know, I I, I shot myself sounding so conservative. But it's amazing because these types who are otherwise very conservative, when it comes to their ox being gored, when it comes to the thing that they want, all of a sudden it's, give do me the credit card. Do they have to pay those back? No, that's the problem. And oh, this, really? Yeah, and this, to be it's fair. It's not really a loan. It's kind of an investment. Exactly. And to be fair, the, the, the Vegas situation doesn't exactly fit into that mold. But typically what will happen with these owners is they come along and they go, listen, build us this thing. or And they always threaten to move the team. You know, oh, we're going to have to move the team. Even moving the team from Dallas to Arlington. Arlington is halfway between Dallas and Fort Worth. It's you know 20 minutes away. But even that was a big deal to the, the purists. You know, oh, my gosh, can we really have the Cowboys not play in Dallas? And that was something that he was kind of using to – to hang over their head. So anyway, it's just it's one of those things that when I see it happen, it just always frustrates me because what they are doing in in Las Vegas is they're passing the the expense on to the tourists, which sounds easy enough. Okay, well you and I are locals, we're not paying hotel taxes and stuff like that. However, um, that if, if we're gonna raise taxes on them for anything, we could use it for other things besides a new sports stadium because those resources are finite. We can't just raise it, raise it, raise it indefinitely. You know, I was looking at um, yeah. Airbnb in LA recently, and you see what the price is set at, and then by the time you actually go to the checkout portion, sometimes it can be as much as twice as much what the original price was. And it's because they've got all those crazy taxes placed on it. Hmm. I didn't know that. You'll never hear me sound more Republican than I just did. So mark this uh, episode 163. All right, uh, ultimate fighter finale. Sorry, I got a little preachy there for a second. But um, that was an epic battle I had with Jerry Jones and that boardroom one time i wonder if he'd remember it years later i mean it's it's been years but 
I think maybe if I reminded him of it, because he wasn't hearing a whole lot of opposition. Yeah, and then also, too, since you got a center to go ahead and spout off. That's right. He probably would remember yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> he probably would remember the conversation he had with poor old Tyson Walter. Uh, all right. How so, long, much longer did Tyson Walter play? Not very long. Um, I, I don't know what it was about centers, but I was, I was friendly with I, – I made a few good um, sports friendships while I was – on that station don't never one as good as you frank ever uh but uh just you know just kind of friendly acquaintances we'd hang out here or there and the guy that i got to be the friendliest with i don't know if you guys you guys are football fans do you remember mark stepnoski he was the center on the dallas cowboys now he was a like a all pro whatever they call him all-star player and he won super bowl rings he was i guess he was very good but um he uh, and he, he was a really, really intelligent guy, and uh, he and I had a, a, a lot in common in terms of sort of like our political views and music too. He liked uh, music uh, a lot, and um, we would go to a lot of concerts. He was friends with the Black Crows, and we went to see the Black Crows one time. And you know who came with us is that the the redheaded guy that coaches them now. What's that guy's name? The Cowboys. Gar- uh, Jason Garrett, is he still the coach? That guy. He was the backup quarterback on the team at the time. So he all he uh, so we we would, you know, we'd hang out periodically and all that, but but with Mark, Mark was already retired at that point when Tyson Walter said that on my show, and I called Mark to tell him about that, and I just remember what he said. He goes, I told him that what he that he had basically spoken out against the the owner's position and Mark goes, "Wow." He goes, he better be good, and he wasn't that good. So I think he was he was cut. Uh, that's a hard position that. to fill, though. Most of the time, the centers and those guys are, on average, from what I've read and seen, yeah. highly intelligent. Hmm. They kind of have to be. Oh, is that right? That's a smart person's yeah, position? Yeah, it's kind of a smart person's position. I think the okay. offensive line is typically, when they do those, what are the, what's that test? That, you know what I'm talking about? There's a test that they take. There's people at home because oh, like, like a Wonderlick test. Yes, yeah, the Wonderlick test. The one where they figure out how smart the quarterback is and stuff like yeah, that too. I think. I, I think the offensive linemen always score the highest. Oh, that's interesting. You know, on average, yeah. Well, that would make sense for him. Yeah, he was he was a really smart dude. The other strange thing about Mark Stepnoski is that he was one of those guys who was just naturally gifted to a sport, but didn't like sports. Like for example, I remember because he would sit in on my show. I didn't think anybody knew less about mainstream sports than me, but I think he might have known less. Like, I remember he knew who Shaquille O'Neal was. Like, I think he knew he played basketball, but he had no idea where he did it or who he played for or anything. I think at the time he was, like, winning championships with the Lakers or something. And it's funny because I think a lot of people just assume that if you're a professional athlete, you must enjoy professional athletics, you must follow it. And I don't even think he... I mean, we see that with fighters, though, sometimes, where they don't even watch fights. No. Yeah. <laughs> Majority of fighters have no clue what fights are. Yeah. It's, it, Cowboy's kind of like that, right, Travis? Like, I know he says he's that way, but is he really... Like, he doesn't really pay a lot of attention to fights, right? No. Do you know? He does not watch them at all. Yeah. Yeah. If it's if it's not somebody that he grew up watching... Yeah. ...or was better than him as he was coming up the ranks... Uh-huh. He's legitimately... He, he doesn't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people are like that. All right. Well, we just uh, digress there for a minute. Hope you enjoyed my Jerry Jones story. Uh, all right. So uh, let's uh, fast forward to the present day. Uh, 
this uh, Friday, my roast battle isn't the only exciting thing in town here in Las Vegas. The Ultimate Fighter finale is going down. You know, Frank, they're going to crown an inaugural women's flyweight champion. Uh, and uh, Justin Gagey and Eddie Alvarez, we were just talking about their fight a minute ago. They've been coaching uh, the ladies on the current season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, the championship Friday night is going to be decided between Nico Montano, who came in to the show as a number 14 seed, completely unheralded. She defeated Lauren Murphy, who was a number three seed. She's fought in the UFC. And uh, a number six seed, Montana Stewart, who's uh, from uh, actually near, near my hometown of Dallas, Azel, I think, to be exact. And Sajara Eubanks, who was another lesser-known uh, uh, fighter. The two fighters that they beat to get in the finals... Uh, Nico Montano defeated Barb Honchek, who was a number two seed, who uh, is the former Invicta champion. She was their title holder over there and then basically kind of got out of fighting for about three years. But I don't think actually lost the title. I think she was stripped of it because she just became inactive and came back on the show. And then uh, Sajara Eubanks defeated Roxanne Modafari. And everybody knows Roxanne. She was on the... Uh, uh, the uh, women's bantamweight season of the ultimate fighter the one where ronda coached against uh misha tate but she's always been a more natural flyweight uh fighter she's as far as women's fighters she's a real pioneer so uh friday night we're actually going to get roxanne modafari against barb honchak that's going to be a rematch of of two veterans honchak uh rear naked choked uh Roxanne Modafari when they fought back in Invicta a couple of years ago and then the title is actually going to be decided uh between uh a, a, a couple of people who are really brand new names to pretty much any household and that's Nico Montano and uh Sajara Eubanks and I had a chance to talk to all four of them over there um today it was interesting too the way they did it now you've coached on the ultimate fighter uh, tell me if you have any stories like this so by the time this podcast posts, basically, what time is it? It's Wednesday night. So right now, this last episode is playing on television. Um, we, we actually had a media embargo for today. So the only reason I can talk freely about this is because by the time we post tomorrow, the show will have aired. But it was weird because we went in and they had the four finalists and we're all interviewing them about what actually happened without the general public knowing just yet was it kind of open secrets as far as who advanced through the show when you were involved do you remember or do you remember it like it was really a pretty well-kept secret no it was pretty well-kept secret we didn't disclose anything yeah in fact we all had to sign these uh, like confidentiality clauses yeah. for five million dollars they could sue you for if you were to you know you were like you know because I remember they told us an example of someone that actually they they I don't know if they they enacted it I don't know if they ever collected the money but mm -hmm. they put a heat on him because his wife started blogging about uh -oh. the results because she knew from listening to him who was going to win so they're like that counts too <laughs> just wow. in case there's any misconceptions you can't tell your buddy hey open up a, an account if we can figure out that it came from you yeah you're held liable i wonder if that fighter and his wife are still making payments to the ufc yeah, I mean, right. they take a long time to pay off yeah but um anyway so this is going to go down friday night now one thing that's unusual about this though 
is because the way it worked before, we taped the season. It took us six weeks, and then it was like usually about two months later would start playing, mm-hmm. and then they could call and interview the guys, but no one would know who would win the fights until after the fight right. was done, and then. The week before the finale, you would see the semifinals to find out who's going to be in the finale, and then by that time, you know now, okay, we the week of the fight, you know who's in the finals because the, the the previous show played, and then now it's gonna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's uh, pretty much handled it the same way all season long. Now, one thing I thought is really cool about this season, and I, I was talking to the the ladies about it, but um, uh, particularly uh, with um, with Nico and uh, Sajara, is the fact that you know when when the UFC created the women's bantamweight division, that was created around Ronda Rousey. When the UFC created the women's featherweight division, that was created around Cyborg. Um, I, the the strawweight division really didn't have uh, a superstar that it was created around. Carlos Barza was our first champion, and really, if anybody, uh, Ioanni and Jacek emerged really as the dominant force. But it wasn't like it was sort of predetermined. And this is more along the lines of that, where uh, the you know you and I both agreed that the, the there was probably much more of a calling for a women's flyweight division before there was Absolutely. for a featherweight division. But that being said, there are no you know names that are already out there on the level of a Rousey or a Cyborg that are okay. Well, it's their division. And everybody else is just invited to hang out in. And I mean, this is a real opportunity for any of these ladies, even if if they're not competing in that title fight Friday night. I mean. Uh, uh, Barb Honchak or Roxanne Modafari. I mean, they could emerge as like the 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 you know the 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 inaugural leaders in terms of stardom of that division. That, that there are a couple of uh, girls that are talking about maybe dropping down, moving up in weight, things like that that might bring bigger names. But it does seem like it's a pretty cool opportunity to just sort of claim your piece of the wild frontier. Yeah, I mean, if you look at look what. Uh Demetrius Johnson did to the flyweight division. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I mean, it's kind of nice to uh, go in there. It goes both ways. It's kind of nice to go in there, and, and, and people are first going to be familiar with the weight class, and your name, if you become the champ and you become dominant, is going to be synonymous with the beginning of the creation of that. But uh, there is something to be said, too, about also taking the throne from somebody who is an established name. There's also that quick, probably faster uh, name recognition by dethroning the you know the, the reigning champ. Yeah, and that's a good point you bring up too about Demetrius because if you think back to it, I mean, Joe Benavides had a bigger name than Demetrius did. Uh, in fact, as I recall, I think a lot of people felt like it was kind of Joe's title to lose going into that. And then, of course, uh, they had the redo with uh, Uncle Creepy and uh, Demetrius because that first fight was a that was a draw, right? Is that right? Yeah, Remember that was, one? Uh, yeah. And then there was some sort of weird thing about how the judges' scores were added incorrectly, as I recall. There was some sort of controversy around that that caused the rematch. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Demetrius was, you know, became a star as a result of the creation of that division. He didn't he didn't go into it as a, as a big name. But w- one thing that's a little odd about this card, though, is that... In the past, when they have, at least in recent years, when they've done the Ultimate Fighter finale, they've always done it here in Vegas. And then what happens is a couple things. 
one usually uh, the the um, the the main fight. Yes, there will be you know the the finalists of the show and all that, but the actual main event is usually a fight, something along the line, either the coaches fight or it's a something that would be like a fight night main event card, not a pay-per-view main event, but, but you know, something that it's, it's, I've thought it was kind of like an insurance policy in case, you know, some of these newer fighters that, uh, we didn't know so much about on the ultimate fighter in case, you know, their fight was a dud, you're going to put on, uh, you know, Gagey and, and Alvarez. Cause you know, that's going to be a, a, a barn burner. And Gagey and Alvarez are fighting the next night on the pay-per-view in Detroit. So not only are the coaches not fighting, but the coaches can't even be there at the finale because they're fighting somewhere else. Have they ever done that before? Not that I can think of. I was trying to think about this today because not only do they not have that kind of of caliber fight uh, in there, but uh, the coaches are – can't be there because they're fighting the next night somewhere else. And the other thing is, usually those fights, if if they're doing the ultimate fighter back to back with uh, with another fight card, usually both of those cards are in Las Vegas. Yeah. So they've done it that way: Friday night one night, Saturday night the next night. But they're uh, they're both in Las Vegas. And really, on this card, other than the the and they're doing it in a smaller venue. It's not at T-Mobile Arena. They're doing it in the theater next door to it. I think it's called the Parks Theater or something like that. So you know, it holds. I don't know what you get total, maybe four thousand in there or something like that. But I think they're even condensing it, making it smaller. I was looking at a map online, and I think they're curtaining off the top balcony, so it'll be a nice little intimate affair. But like. Uh, for example, uh, this guy Sean O'Malley is uh, fighting on it. Who is, if you remember him, he was on uh, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. He's a young guy, bantamweight fighter, eight zero, real exciting. I mean, he was an exciting fighter to watch. But he was brought in today to do the press, so it's kind of like that's sort of the go-to apart from the actual uh, Ultimate Fighter finale. And I'm looking at, uh, you know, the rest of the card. I mean, you've got, I mean, Joe Soto is on there. Like, here's your main card, okay? So so you're going to have two ladies fights, right? Okay. You've got, uh, you got a middleweight fight between Andrew Sanchez and Ryan Janes. Joe Soto, as I mentioned, uh, fighting bantamweight against uh, Brett Johns. Sean O'Malley, hot prospect that I mentioned, fighting bantamweight against Tarion Ware. And Eric Spicely and Gerald uh, Mechart fighting middleweight. That's your main card. Do any of those names ring a bell to you? Uh, I wasn't going to say nothing not to be a dick. But no. no, but I mean, it's not just you. No, I mean, uh, it's just not one of those fighters I think I've ever seen before. No, uh, Joe Soto. I know. Oh, Soto, yeah. Yeah, but. Um, I've only seen one of his fights. Yeah, it's when just he fought TJ on Dillashaw, days. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'm I'm up for any night of fights. I mean, you know, and and obviously, you know, you make it to the UFC, you're no slouch. But it's just like this was just an oddly constructed one for me because I thought, well, surely they're at least going to put the coaches on there, or and I get it, you want to sell pay per views and that sort of thing. But have you noticed a difference in the card making since they lost Joe Silva? Well. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I will say this. 
that i mean because you probably don't remember a card before joe silva right no i wouldn't um uh not in real time i i'll say this i mean i've i've some of the pay-per-views have been have been stellar i mean it, they're still to me delivering on the big shows but it might be some and of these. the one that just happened in new york the one all three titles got yeah. exchanged hands yeah but it might be some of these types of cards or it might be like the one we just saw in in china where i mean that fight that well, card was really centered around because i know that before it was joe silva yeah then as the shows got bigger they brought sean shelby from the wec pretty much helped out yep. and assisted they've got uh so maybe now that joe's gone and sean has to step into his role mm-hmm. it's the, the guy, guy that would jump into sean's role and kind of be the assistant yep it's the guy from um was it legacy fighting championship uh oh god what is this guy's name hold on let me look it up uh, but he's the guy that probably put this card together maynard uh what is his name hold on i'll think of it here in a second uh, the, this was, uh, legacy it was kind of like Houston based. Oh, it's the one that, uh, Drysdale was a champ of. Uh, yes. Yes. Has he ever not, isn't he still the champion? Yeah. I guess he just, you know, they just haven't called him. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That guy went and just mauled everybody as a fighter. Yeah. It's Mick Maynard. Mick Maynard. There we go. Yep. Mick Maynard. Was I right about legacy? That was his organization, right? I'm going to look it up real quick. Yeah, you know, I was talking to Robert about that in the car. We were driving back from L.A., and this is a strange conversation. This is I would never look at Frank and go, are you still the UFC champion, or have you just not done anything with that lately? But I actually had that moment where I looked at Robert in the car. I was like, hey, wait a second. Are you still the legacy light heavyweight champion? He's like, yeah, yeah, still am. Okay. You doing anything with that? Yeah, not lately. Here's the thing. For him to take off time to train that's for what, a fight. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. He loses money at the end of the day. No, that, that that's... He a, just, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he has done so well as a gym owner, uh, you know, as a businessman who does, you know, seminars and, you know, his students. Yep. That he loses money by turning that down to take six to eight weeks to get ready for a fight. That's yeah. a, yep. That's exact. In fact, I remember that's exactly what he was saying. He yeah. was like, "It's just actually not in my best interest." He's like, "He's like, I, you know, I would maybe take a fight if they would call, but uh, nothing had uh, had come of it." Okay, now I'm seeing Ed Soares is. Why is Ed Soares? He's the CEO of Legacy Fighting. All right, what's the other organization I'm thinking of? Titan. Okay, or is it RFA? Maybe maybe Mick Maynard was the head of RFA. He's he's in that whole little group in there somewhere. Okay. We'll sort all that out later. But uh, you know, but that's another thing too. And I don't know the particulars of. Uh, I was talking about Barb Honcheck a minute ago. Um, you know, holding the the women's title over in uh, Invicta and then just kind of disappearing for from fighting for a few years. And I I like it like Invicta and you know like what Shannon Knapp does over there. So I follow Invicta and. You know, I remember when she was the champion, and there was just this kind of weird thing about, like, is she vacating the title? Is she not fighting anymore? Who's heard from her? What's going on with her? She's not injured, but we're not seeing her booked. And I remember Shannon was, you know, when you would ask about her in interviews, she's kind of, well, you know, we're waiting to see what happens with that. We'll see. And I think eventually stripped of it. But I'm guessing, and again, I, I don't know all the particulars, but when you're talking about some of the, the organizations that are outside the UFCs or the Bellators, you know, where you can really make a living doing this, kind of the like what you were just talking about, of being, Robert being a champion of a very respected 
organization, but the money, I mean, sometimes there's a reason why you're such a respected champion, and that's because you've built quite a business for yourself outside of that, and sometimes you got to prioritize that. If you think about it, it's I think and that's what the UFC is probably seeing now. I think they killed their – they really sliced out the up-and-comers with the Reebok deal. I still think that's one of the worst moves they could have made because a lot of those guys – relied on sponsors and, 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 you know, and trade with guys in the, in that kind of uh, community, you know, throughout the week, you know, mm-hmm. so they didn't have to have a full 40 hour uh, a week job. And the minute Reebok became the only player in town and now those guys lost a lot of their sponsors, if not all of them, um, you know, getting paid eight and eight for a fight, you can't live off of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's not a lot of money. I mean, if mm-hmm. you think about it, you're an up and coming guy and you're getting paid, you know, uh, six and six or eight and eight. It means you have to win the fight and you get paid $16,000. That's not a ton of money to take four or five months of your life, you know, invest. And then, you know, and then, and now you're paying taxes. Now you pay your cornermen. You're, you're barely going to keep half. You're not even going to keep half when mm-hmm. it's all said and done. Uh, you know, and now it's like, okay, well now use that money to live off of, to get ready for the next fight. Yeah. They can't. And so I think a lot of guys, that's why you're seeing people that are talented athletes, you know, for a while there, we were starting to get those guys that, you know, former athletes and other sports want to come over. I think now it's going to start shifting the other direction again. I think thankfully you have Bellators and ACBs out there where guys can still now, you know, do sponsorships and, and make a good living. Uh, maybe still go that route but as far as the most you know uh, visually you know out there is the ufc still uh, as far as for the you know the common uh, viewer at home it's just not enough incentive i think to draw some of these people over if you're a young athlete nowadays it's like well do i go f- become a mixed martial artist mm-hmm. or do i play basketball or play football or you know go do baseball there's another lot of routes that we're gonna you know and those guys are gonna go that direction what I worry about it doing, uh, by the way, Mick Maynard uh, came from Legacy FC, so I was right about that, and he joined uh, UFC about a year ago. Handsome fellow, too. Oh, my goodness. Mick Maynard is like the Luke Rockholt of matchmaking. Handsome dude. Um, that's going to be awkward when we see each other next time. but uh, anyway. Or he'll be flattered. Luke yeah. Rockholt was flattered one time yeah, when I, I pointed Sean, it out. Sean Shelby's going to be worried that you think he's not attractive. No, he understands that he's not. A very oh, good I don't know about that, Frank. He's uh, he's he's got a he's got a certain uh, lack of uh, hair on top, kind of short. And he, he's got a charm. <laughs> he's got a charm to him. Um, but uh, you know the the thing that I wonder though about about that is maybe if there's anything to be lost in it. And listen, I mean it's it's an embarrassment of riches. I'm gonna go cover UFC on Friday night before my roast battle, if you're wondering how I was going to do that. Um, and uh, it, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be a great night of fights, no question. And I'm sure that if it was any other promotion, uh, you wouldn't necessarily be holding them to that same standard. But I will say that one of the very first things the UFC impressed me with all those years ago 
was it because I came from covering boxing, and boxing is always only about the main event. That's all it is. It's the main event, and even if you're a hardcore boxing fan, sometimes you are hard-pressed to know all of the people that are on that undercard. And the UFC was never like that. The UFC was like, okay, I'm the, the main event may be what's marketed to me on the poster, but when I go, I'm going to have such an all-inclusive experience that even if that main event ends up not to live up to its hype, I'm still going to be talking about two or three other fights that were on that card. And they also would do a great job of telling me the backstory of those fights. Why is this important? Why are these two guys fighting? What's at stake? You know, all that. And part of that might have been because there were... I definitely because there were fewer fights back then, but there was also just such an attention to the detail of that, that I felt like they were great storytellers and matchmakers. And maybe now that everything's kind of spread out a bit and maybe there's a, a more of a corporate approach to it. I don't know. You know, it's maybe not as mom and popish getting cranked out of the same office. I don't know. That's all speculation on my part, but I just I hope that's not something that the UFC ends up consistently losing, even if it's going to happen here and there. You know. Well, I think the names that are going to go to the UFC route are going to constantly be more obscure because uh, I don't think they want to pay any of the the money. I think that there's still like you know, and that's my thought is that you know the UFC. When you know Lorenzo and Frank bought it for 1.3 million, and all of a sudden now they sell it for 4.2. I mean, there was a period there for years that everything they saw was profit, right? You know, and then all of a sudden now you buy something for 4.2 billion dollars, and now there's even talk of whether it was really even worth that to begin with. Uh, um, you're trying to cut back costs everywhere, and, and one of the areas you can cut back is on purses. Yep, no, it's true, and you know the the fact that you've got the Bellators. And the ACB is coming along to help. I mean, this is one thing that does benefit fighters is it will help drive up the value and the prices. Even if they ultimately do go to the UFC, they're probably going to go for more money than they would have otherwise if it's a highly sought-after fighter. Absolutely. Uh, well, I started to mention uh, the events of this past weekend. Michael Bisping was KO'd in the first round by Kelvin Gastelum, a uh, replacement opponent himself, after Anderson Silva was flagged by USADA. Uh, that was uh, supposed to be Gastelum's original opponent. Bisming was doing a quick turnaround after getting finished by George St. Pierre just a few weeks ago. I said it was a bad idea. You did. You you said that was a really bad matchup for uh, for Bisming. Um, it's kind of weird to talk about where Bisming goes from here. Uh, Gastelum called out uh, Robert Whitaker potentially for that that Perth Australia card because we're not still not sure what's going on with. George St. Pierre, GSP, said he was contractually obligated to fight Robert Whitaker if he was going to fight again, and that's kind of the last we heard of that. I heard uh, Dana this past week said something like he would be uh, super disappointed or something like that if uh, GSP did not fight again and didn't fight Robert Whitaker. But at, for the moment, Whitaker appears to be an available dance partner, possibly for that Australia card. Gastelum uh, stepped up and said he'd like to have that fight for the interim middleweight title. But Bisbing, Bisbing says he's staying in the game. There is a fight card coming up in the new year in London. Uh, Dan Hardy was saying that, you know, that would make a great retirement fight for Bisbing. If he needed to retire, he could do it uh, at home there in England. But, you know, I know Bisbing's been fighting for a long time, but can you recall a time when 
a fighter lost a title, and we so quickly were talking about can they fight one or two more times before they retire? Would you have to go all the way back to maybe like Randy Couture to remember a time where it's like, oh, okay, well, that, that, that last run's over with. Um, are they going to fight once more? Anybody over 35 who loses a title. Okay. When is... Every fighter that we've ever had that lost a title, they talk about him retiring. Everybody that's over 35. Okay, so... I would probably... We got to think... 33? Okay, so so we got to think heavyweights. Okay. When is the last time... When's the last high-profile example of that that you can remember? Uh... When Dos Santos got beat the third time by Cain Velasquez, people talked that maybe Dos Santos should retire. Um, yeah, but he wasn't the champion then, right? He was the champ. The or, third time? No, no, the third time. That's right. He was vying for the title. Yeah, so I'm talking about a guy drops a title, and then immediately it's, are they done? Mm, I can't think of one offhand, but I just feel like that's always kind of the MMA community kind of uh, shtick is that every time mm-hmm. a guy loses a fight, Ah, he should retire. Yeah. Do you think that's that's warranted in uh, Bisping's case? Yes. Yeah. Just because of the the years and the abuse. Yeah. And all you know that. the eye damage and stuff, and then you know he falls down pretty easy when he gets yeah. hit now. Yeah. Um. I think I also uh, I believe that that he set a fight. Uh. You know he's got a. Uh. He he's got some 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 all time records of distinction, but I think he might have also. Uh, set the record for being knocked down more than any other fighter in UFC history. Yeah. I think that might have been a an actual stat. Yeah, that's a record you kind of don't want to have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that, you know, I think him, not to take too much away from uh, Bisbee, I think he's a good fighter. I even thought that he could have beaten George because mm-hmm. George shouldn't have been a middleweight. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if him and Luke Rockhold were to fight again, I would, without any hesitation, bet on Luke Rockhold to beat him. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then if he were to fight Whitaker, I think Whitaker would have beat him. Uh, in fact, actually, I thought George fighting him for the, the title was probably the best chance he had at winning a fight at middleweight. Because, I mean, if you looked at the roster, I really couldn't pick anybody in the top 10 I thought he could beat. Mm-hmm. You know, with great confidence yeah and then uh you know and there you go kevin gustalum goes out there and smashes him in one round yeah yeah i i imagine that they will you know i mean maybe sooner than later just because of the age and all that you know if let's say if daniel cormier were to lose his title and then you know maybe you start talking about okay well does he fight a few more times or whatever but again there's that there's that getting to a more advanced age uh, I just can't think of that many times it's happened well, outside think, of the heavyweight I think division. Bisbing is a pretty uh, good example of it because mm-hmm. of, like I said, I mean, you know, he took a fight on. He was never even supposed to fight for the title. Mm-hmm. He just took a fight mm-hmm. on two weeks' notice, and that's what gave him. The, it wasn't like he earned his way into the title shot. Yeah, it pretty yeah. much was like I'll take a fight on two weeks' notice when other people wouldn't. One hook later, he caught Rockhold and he became the champ. And then he fought a, you know, a, a very much past his prime Dan Henderson. Yeah. And it wasn't like he, uh, you know, he got smashed pretty hard a couple of those rounds. I mean, you know, there was uh, some definite 10-8 rounds where I consider it's a 10-8 when I think the referee is about to jump in and stop it. Mm-hmm. And I remember twice in that fight where I'm like, oh, shit, the referee might jump in and stop this. Yeah. That's a... Uh, um, 
why I thought actually Henderson even won the fight on scorecard wise, mm -hmm. because even though Bisbing won more rounds, uh, the rounds that Henderson won, he won with a two point margin in my thought, Yeah, uh, each of them. And so, uh, uh, he has that performance, and then now you know he loses to George, who really, honestly, he should have beaten George. I think that's why George isn't really keen to jump right back in the mix. Mm. George, I mean, who really else is he going to beat at middleweight? So for you, the the St. Pierre comeback was less about him looking that good and maybe more about the fact him beating an opponent that you don't think he necessarily should have beaten? And Bisping? Yeah. Yeah, I think that honestly, just he caught Bisbing and Bisbing falls down now. Mm -hmm. um, I think that going back, and I thought Bisbing would win the fight because mm -hmm. of his busyness, hard to take down. But he just, you know, when George St. Pierre's dropping you with punches, that's not really his forte. Mm -hmm. He was never a knockout artist. You know, you have a guy who's a, really a natural welterweight. Now he's an overweight middleweight. Uh, you know, and then Kevin Gostelum kind of the same scenario mm -hmm. he's not even a true middleweight the guy really is just an overweight welterweight yeah and now he's rocking him out in one round yeah yeah it um you know it 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 looked good for kelvin gustlum i mean that's a guy who i you know as impressive as he's looked when i think of gustlum i think of a guy who maybe just based on the raw talent that he's displayed should be a little further along than where he is because he's had a couple of hiccups, yeah, just you know, shoot himself in the foot. Exactly. You know, the missed weight cuts and the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the pot test or he popped for or whatever. And it's just delayed him a little bit, but it does look like, uh, he's maybe finally really on the cusp of, uh, of, of big things. Um, Bellator is going to be in action too. quick, uh, look at that, uh, Friday night. They, uh, you know, they have a dominant uh, featherweight champion of their own over there, uh, Frank. Uh, Cyborg and uh, Holly Holm have been announced for the featherweight title for the big uh, New Year's card here in Las Vegas. But uh, Bellator has themselves a 145-pound women's champion named Julia Budd, who is undefeated in uh, Bellator, 4-0, 10-2 in her entire career. And her only two losses were to Ronda Rousey and Amanda Nunez, and uh, she is going to be defending her title for the first time against Arlene Blincow in a, a rematch from last year that she won by majority decision. She's on an 11-fight win streak, last losing in uh, 2011. Uh, Chidi Njikawani is on that card as well. He's moving up to middleweight. Uh, David Caveman Rickles, we were just talking about uh, uh, records that uh, Bisbing holds, both uh, distinctive and dubious. Caveman Rickles is going to be in his 19th Bellator fight. That is the most in company history. And then uh, former UFC fighter Sam Cecilia is going to make his uh, Bellator debut over there after going 5-7 and seven in the UFC. What's uh get take, take give us the temperature of Bellator uh for for Frank Mir right now. I mean you got the get the April fight booked with Fedor. Went did the photo shoot with him. Uh, I mean are they are you guys at that point in your relationship where do you talk on the phone every day? Do you uh, fall asleep with each other on the phone? No, everything's very you hang important. up. Uh, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. Are we not really quite nice. there yet? No, I don't know if I get there with anybody, even Mrs. Mayor. Uh, <laughs> But uh, no, everything's great, man. Uh, you know, 
people's phone numbers i text they answer they text me when they need something and mm-hmm. it's pretty easy not a lot of uh i don't have to call a secretary <laughs> yeah i think this heavyweight grand prix is going to bring uh, a lot of really uh can like is is going to bring a, a lot of really positive focus on bellator because you know right now they have these cards i mean we just kind of did just like a little mini preview of something they're doing for right now obviously this one is going to fly a little bit under the radar even with a title on the line roy mcdonald is fighting in january that's going to have more eyeballs on it you know a guy who was like a a, a, a blue chip free agent uh signing but it just seems like I, in fact i was telling um uh brent Jones, our partner in uh, Real MMA and the owner of Real Water, at meeting with him today, and he was asking me about the the tournament, and I was going over the names with him, and you know he's not, I mean he's a he's a big fan, but but isn't following the sport day in and day out. Knew the name of every person in that tournament. It immediately resonated, and it just told me I was like, well, here's. Here's the focus group right here. This is who you're trying to appeal to. Yeah, of course you're going to get the hardcore fan. But can you take the guy who, you know, follows the sport, but he's got a family and he's got a business and he's got a bunch of other things going on too and politics and everything, and can you run the entire eight-man tournament down to him and he's interested in every single matchup and immediately recognizes all the people that are competing? And that's the case. They've done a nice job putting this thing together. No, I agree. I think it has a lot of attention because of all the – the, the recognizable names that are involved. Mm-hmm. I, by the way, am already, and I thank our listeners for this who uh, have listened to our last couple of episodes. I am already getting suggestions uh, for uh, backpack sponsors okay. that I should uh, court because I am looking to turn myself into the Stitch Duran of backpack specialists. You they know? obviously know it can be no animal product, right? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, I've been designated by you to be the uh, backpack specialist for the camp. And, um, uh, you know, Stitch was always so good over the years before they 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 reined him in and ultimately dismissed him from the UFC. You know, he always had his, his sponsors and all that. Kind of, I'm even thinking of doing... Uh, and then you know, down the line. I mean, we're not we're not doing all this in the first quarter of 2018. Not get the uh, wagon in front of the horse yet? No, not yet. But what I'm thinking of, you know, building my brand around uh, uh, being a backpack specialist the way that Stitch did as a Cutman. You know, he eventually released his own line of Cutman products. I'm envisioning my own signature backpack design eventually. I see you know, that. Eventually, let's claim this. You know, let's claim this pockets title for the first. Pedialyte pockets. Yes. For the, you know. Yeah, exactly. I got you. Yeah, because you know you 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 go on to win this title, and uh, sure, there's going to be uh, a lot of media attention on you. But eventually, they start looking at the the, well, the, the people team involved. The, the team, yeah. yeah, they do. They start looking, and they start looking for the intangibles. And I don't think they're going to have to look very far. And they're going to start asking, <laughs> "What's up with this backpack organization that I'm hearing so much about?" It's so quick to everything, man. And that's it's right. Hey, I was going to ask you too. Uh, I, this is just a little bit of news from today. Did you see Matt Lauer got fired? I, I saw something on the news about it. I don't no details on it. I just saw someone make a joke about it. Yeah. And I looked it up. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, Matt Lauer is the latest to fall to the uh, sex scandals. Yes, right? the sex scandals. And uh boy, it sucks to lose a twenty five million dollar a year job, I would assume. I've never had one. But uh, what did he do? Well, uh details are a little a little sketchy at the moment, but uh, apparently Variety was getting ready to publish a big story, uh, and uh, NBC, of course, he was the anchor of the Today Show, 
NBC had a uh, female go complain to their HR department just this past Monday about an incident that happened in 2014. And they fired him based on that, but now the the speculation is that they may have gotten wind that there were some other stories coming out. And they wanted to try to get ahead of it. Uh, I read the I read the Variety article. Um, the probably out of that entire thing, the 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 biggest offense that jumped out at me, if if in fact this happened, if and I've read this in in a number of these stories, if. A woman comes into your office and you just out of the blue say, hey, here's my penis. Can't do that. Don't do that. Don't no. drop your pants and go, hey, look at my penis. Yeah, I, w- I would think that's a no. Don't do that. Yeah. But uh, then there were some other things like, well, he gave a sex toy to a female co-anchor or something as a birthday present. I mean, I don't know. Like, that's probably not a great idea, especially in a corporate environment. But it's probably falling more under a gag gift. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, when when I moved uh, down to to Vegas, uh, I was gifted some sort of sex toy that I'll never use from all the uh, prostitutes who were sorry to see me move uh, move south. What'd they give you? It was one of those fleshlight things. Have you heard of these? Yes, I've heard of them. bizarre. Let me tell you. <laughs> I guess these things. I watch uh, Pornhub still, even though they tell me it's ripping people off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess they, uh, you know, it's funny because the way you and I got so vigilant about policing our uh, podcast downloads on YouTube, that's how porn stars feel about yes. Pornhub, you know? Sorry, man. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere there is a frank mirror of porn going. Those bastards! I can't believe these downloads. Um, but they, yeah, that flashlight thing. I just gotta say, as a guy, and maybe I'm alone here in this uh, trio in this room, but um, I, I'm very protective of that area as far as like from injury, and you know, I. I invest in the best cup and that sort of thing. I'm thinking all three of us can fall. Sure. Uh, I would not. Don't think you've lost us on that one. I don't think. No, uh, not yet. Not yet. Uh, but only Travis is at work fucking using yeah. his dick to hold the fucking board down to <laughs> hammer nails through it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it gives a shit. <laughs> but I, I look at that flashlight thing and apparently it's like a cylinder thing that you just stick your penis in. Yeah. And I don't like the looks of that. I mean, that looks like, you know, you hear these horrible stories uh, I'm sure April has them from the emergency room about the the old uh, penis in the vacuum kind of thing where things go awry. Everybody who works in ERs has those, well, right? For the record, she's never spoke about anything that's happened to a patient in the hospital. Oh no, so no, I, I wouldn't yeah. know. No, but I mean, I, I've people heard other like people her. talk about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but funny story. You yeah. know whose uh, family invented the flashlight, right? No, oh, no, I don't. Aubrey Marcus of Onnit. Really? Mm-hmm. His family? Mm-hmm. Like, like. Got together, like mom and dad. I mean, who? All I know is that I mean, they're the, they're they were the somehow involved. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, but do you know what I'm saying? Like that. Uh, well, you know what? Too? That just looks like an accident waiting yeah. to happen. I don't think I'm intimidated as much as that. That's kind of the appealing part of masturbating. Mm-hmm. It's it's very effortless. You know, anytime yeah. you go to have sex, you make love to your woman, uh, even if you're fucking banging some one night stand. Most men have an ego about themselves, and you know you're going to always mm-hmm. make sure. You know, I don't ever want to just you know dial it in. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, sure, you want to give a good performance, and so sometimes when you just just you, 
you don't have to worry about shit. The other person being happy, you don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? So yeah, you're so, always going to give yourself a good yeah, right? review. So you know, so that that's part of the appeal that it's pretty you know yeah uh, low maintenance and so the whole thing about having to have that and i'm like do you have to clean that thing out afterwards yeah and, uh, yeah i mean it was and it was expensive too because they left the price tag on it i think the thing was like 70 80 bucks or something like that no they're cheap yeah but but it to me it's sort of the it's sort of the glory hole principle like i never uh, grasped the cons once i even found out what that was the idea that you're just going to, yeah, I could never do you know, that. devil may care on the other side of this drywall. Like, uh, I don't I don't think no, so. No, no, no. I feel on that one. I, if I can't see where it's going, yeah. I'm not putting it in there. Yeah. So why don't we start talking about that? Oh, the sex toy thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, so, you know, he did that. But as I said, and I said this a few weeks ago, I just, this, this whole thing, I just want to caution a little bit against... Let's make sure that every one of these cases is really appropriate of its persecution. I mean, you know, this kind of started, I mean, you think of it kind of starting with Harvey Weinstein. Really, it probably started with Roger Ailes at Fox before that. But certainly Weinstein was, you know, putting up the Cosby-like numbers. And, and it, it, obviously there were a lot of examples of just, you know, look, if you want to get anywhere in this world here's what you're gonna do and and that you know casting couch I mean, it has yeah name. and that absolutely uh you know should not stand and one of my favorite categories in pornography no. <laughs> <laughs> but what what i what i want to be careful of though are these That's what you were thinking right travis <laughs> come on we can't be the only two of the three guys that watch a lot of porn here yeah yeah i know what you're talking about you know, I thought that that must. I, uh, I think he's talked about this publicly, so I don't think this is a uh, uh, out anything. But Greg Fitzsimmons, the comedian, he's a big fan of that casting couch guy, and we were talking there's about one it. guy in particular. Well, there's one guy who did it, and then there were some some knockoffs. See, I don't think I've ever really noticed. Yeah, there's 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 an original brand, and then there's some off-brand version oh. can, can you reenact that at the brothel like do you guys have a casting couch room i mean if you want to book it sure i mean we you can probably reenact anything right oh yeah yeah i mean you can have a girl be like i'm real unsure about this i used to have a friend who swore that his favorite kind of porn was the pov where the girl looked a little uncertain about what was going on <laughs> i used to think that is the creepiest thing anybody could ever say that's like that one clip i saw one time on tosh.0 is that still come on? I gotta watch that still. Oh, anyways, and it shows a girl on a, a porn site, you know, doing a porno, and she takes a shot to the mouth, and she gags and pukes, and everybody's like, "No, you know, it's okay. It's you, you know, you'll get used to it." Type thing, right now. And so the girl's sitting there, and she goes, "No, it's because I'm pregnant." Ugh. And that might have been one of the like I'm like watching. I'm like, wow. Like, does everybody on set just realize that you are just the scumbags and i'm like wow like we took a wrong turn somewhere in my life they this showed, led to this moment they showed that on tosh yeah they had everything edited out yeah like as far as blurred so, but you could figure out what was going on the girl you know oh. she's sitting there and she's like, i'm sure we could find it we uh, had a so, guy this just happened I don't, I don't care i'm off topic we'll eventually get back to matt lauer but um just because i have to one-up any conversation or at least give it an effort um so we have had a girl in the last couple of weeks that's pregnant out at the ranch. And we had a guy who called in 
to find out if we had anyone there who is lactating. And she was actually not there that day, but the, the receptionist said she'll be back on Tuesday. And I happened to overhear this. And when she hung up the phone, I said, this must be the only job in the world where you get a call like that and the correct answer is she'll be back on Tuesday. So sure enough, she comes back in on Tuesday and I, I guess gives this guy whatever he was looking for, but then proceeded to gross me out at lunchtime with some story about how really the time to catch her lactating the most is post-delivery because that's when you're really producing the... Oh, so gross. On several levels. I mean, not the least of which is I'm a vegan. I don't want to hear about any milk consumption. Secondly, that some dude was counting the months until early 2018 when he could catch up with her postpartum. Hmm? Did that do anything for you? Oh, man. Yeah? Not interested in the random pregnant chick? No, you know. Me neither. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. Me neither. So back to Matt Lauer. He also apparently... That's disturbing. Um, it is disturbing. Uh, That's one thing I can't watch in a porno. I mean, there's many things actually yeah. out there. Let me still want. There's a lot of shit that I can't watch. Yeah. <laughs> one of them being pregnant women getting banged. Because I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. just a baby inside of her. And then that guy. And then the hair. And I'm like, oh, fuck. This is awful. Like, what kind of life is that kid going to? I'm like, I don't know. I'm starting to go into that dad sure. As you should. mindset of, uh, I'm like, what the fuck does she do wrong in life? That This is where she's at. As you should. I, uh. I've never, uh, amazingly, even accidentally stumbled across it, except in the kitchen at work, but uh, I tried to avoid it nonetheless. Um, so the other thing about Matt Lauer, and this, this gets me to my gray area point, okay? So, yeah, if, in fact, you're just, it's, it's that cut and dry, that women are coming into your office, yeah, did you need something? Hey, look at my dick. You can't do that. But then there's also stuff in there like, oh, my gosh, he had a button under his desk that he could hit and it would lock the office door without uh, him having to touch the door. Well, that could be sinister or it could be a security measure. I mean, like, if, if you had the ability to lock your front door from this chair right here, I mean, is that... Is that sinister or is that just an advancement in technology? You see what I mean? Like in, in retrospect, if you're talking about salacious allegations, then maybe you tie it to something bad. But I just don't know that things is like that. Is laptop or his computer on the desk? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> oh, like, uh, you know what? Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, boop, lock the door. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I don't think there was anything sinister there at all. I, I, I think he's a guy who, you yeah. know. I think that when I saw something like that, I'm like, oh, fuck, that's true. Whereas the definition of maturity mm. is that when you're by yourself, you do something besides masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> I like read it. I was all, oh, fuck. <laughs> I got to grow up. You know, uh, Adam Carolla refers to that as spunk shui. 
He will he will come to he can go into any room and spunk sway it where he moves all the furniture to be the most advantageous to not getting caught doing that. <laughs> so that's what I'm yeah. thinking. I mean Matt might yeah. just have had, you know, you know, the guy's a little tense, he's at work, you know, a little alone time, doesn't yeah. want the intern to come in and, and, and you know. Then we got a lawsuit on our hands, right? Yeah, see so, I boop, just locks the door, plays, and they can re unlock it real quick. And never even left the desk. Yeah, see, I see little things like that. And yeah, sure. I mean if it's if some uh, unsuspecting girl is trying to flee the office and he reaches under there and locks them in or something then obviously that's not I'm pretty cool. sure that never ever ever happened yeah i mean, I so, mean that's rapey on a whole fucking right different that, level. that's what i'm saying so it's like if if something like that did happen that's one thing but i just worry about some of this forensic stuff where it's like we're going back and sort of trying to I worry about trying to make something yeah. fit. We already have a picture of what mm-hmm. you guys are assuming, and now we're trying to make the narrative that leads up to it match. Instead of working the opposite direction, which is you should work from a point of like, let's look at all the facts and come to a conclusion. And so like, here's our conclusion. Yeah. How can we make all these facts match up to where it's yeah. all nice and cohesive and tight? I mean, by and large, I, every, I think this is all... I think this is positive. I mean, this is good that, you know, this this systematic nonsense is is being put under a spotlight and all that, and, and good will come of it. But along the way, I am hearing little things that bother me. Like, uh, I think I was telling you uh, uh, last time we talked about this, about I had heard uh, Chelsea Handler say on Bill Maher's show, and I, I agree with a lot of what Chelsea Handler uh, advocates, but I heard her say, well, I think we're just at a point where we, we're going to just need to believe all women. And no, that's dangerous. Like, you shouldn't believe all anything. Male, female, doctors, lawyers, politicians, parents, don't believe all of anything ever. Like, that's, that's scary language. And then, I, you know, I've also heard it said now that, well, probably eventually a couple of innocent people will kind of get caught up in the tidal wave along the way, but that's just collateral damage. That's worth the price of this systemic turning of the tide. I disagree with that because that's not how we do it in this country. No, it's very American. Our, our principle of justice is that even if some guilty people get away inadvertently, that is worth it to protect one truly innocent mm-hmm. life, and that's why we have the appellate process. You know, yeah. even I think we've always had that mindset where it's better to watch nine criminals yeah, walk right. than imprison one innocent man. Exactly, and I just you know i i get the i i get the fervor because it's been so long coming, and you know it's you feel like it's celebratory in a way because it's like, okay, you know, the bad guys are getting theirs. And that, that part of it's fine. But well, I just, it's also people from a lesser position of power. You know, it's like if your team always loses every fucking game for yeah. the last thousand years and yeah. all of a sudden now you're getting a win, you know, yeah. there's a little bit of, you know, backlash that's going to occur. Yeah, and I, I also think that it's it's something that the the right side of it the correct side of it needs to be careful of because in their elation, I don't want them to inadvertently do a disservice to the actual prosecution of the, the real ne'er-do-wells in the equation. It's kind of like bad cops. Like, you know, whenever you see uh, a bad cop sort of get protected, you know who that hurts the worst? 
is the good cops. Like, and I get the, 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 you know, the tendency to want to protect your own or whatever. But in some of those situations, that's a thing where it's like, as a, as a good cop, you need to rightly acknowledge if some, if you have a, a bad apple in your midst, because what they're really doing is hurting you. And so if, if they just kind of fade into the fabric of it, then inadvertently it's going to help blur the the actual bad people involved in the equation. I guess that's well, what I'm worried I mean, about. I think, here. like I said, there's always going to be the, uh, the explosion that rips the other direction. Mm-hmm. The pendulum's going to swing as far away <laughs> it was in one direction, back the other, before it gets back to where I think it should be, which is in the middle, which each case right. is taken seriously and, and evaluated. And people are not guilty before they're proven innocent. Uh, you know, uh, I don't think it should work in that direction. And I think what's going to end up happening is it's going to swing so far the other way because of the backlash and a lot of, uh, you know, of anger and, and, and repression that's happened over a, a long period of time. Um, you're going to get a lot of innocent people are going to get swept up in it. And then those innocent people's stories are going to become uh, very much the face of this. And mm-hmm. I think then what's going to happen is, is that now I think guilty people are going to be able to get away with it because you're going to be, right. Oh, well, wait a minute. You saw so-and-so they were innocent the whole time. And you're like, well, shit. Now we don't know who's guilty, who's innocent. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, that's because you're supposed to go ahead and go yeah. through a process. And you know who's going to use We don't just it. use yeah. the court of public opinion to go ahead and crucify people. And you know who's going to use that defense are predators. Mm-hmm. The people who actually have something to cover up. All they're looking for is one to go, well, what about, uh, you know, what about him? What'd you do to him? Just cause doubt. No, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. And, and it just, it's why, you know, case by case is such an important and effective method of problem solving. You know, looking at, at everything individually, even when there is a tendency to go with a pack mentality. Because the other thing is, too, everything is not going to be equal. It's why we have an age of consent. You know, there is, there is, inappropriate which may not be a crime per se and then there's also assault which is a crime under any definition you know and you know it's just still such a hard situation like i'm still trying to wrap my brain around it i have a 14 year old daughter Uh, the differences between you know men and women in in our society and i just i don't know i I still think it's uh (laughs) we have a long ways to go of fully understanding it because there are differences and i think now this whole like we're all trying to be equal i'm like where does that exist hmm. there's nowhere where all people are equal we're not mm-hmm. equal to each other we're, we're not well i think if we won't no we're not but i think if what we're trying to do is create a common acceptable minimum standard i'm okay with that, that but everybody's- even that we don't have for example yeah. i just saw the matt lauer thing when i was mm-hmm. looking at it it showed like who the who's the two girls that also do a morning show older ladies one used to be married to the football player Oh, that's Kathy Lee. Uh, and who's um, the other girl she works with? Hoda. Right. Shows them, and there's some guy on the beach, and they're doing a day show, and he has no shirt on, and they're groping him in a way that had that been reversed, yeah. Yep. If that had been like, two older guys groping some 25 year old girl in a bikini, we'd all be fucking going insane. But because it's two fucking old ladies, they're like, oh well, it's okay for a woman to sexually harass a guy. 
No, that's we, a great point. So, I mean, we're not even nowhere there because, I mean, seriously, if I were tomorrow sit there and go, wow, man, I went to go do this job and, and the girl that was running the fucking uh, uh, ring card girls came up and grabbed me by my dick and, you know, asked me what I was doing later on. I, I felt very offended. I would be laughed at if I fucking tried to tell that story to anybody. They're like, oh, really, dude? Like, you were really offended, right? I'm like, well, you know, no one's going to take the side of the guy. Mm-hmm. So we have so far to go where it's like, uh, this is a, such a hot topic still. And I'm curious where it matches up because that whole field of commonality, I'm like, all right, cool. Does it go the other way? Yeah. I'm like, I'm okay with that. Like, I think women should be able to go to work and not be, but then I also don't think you should get a pass. Just like, here's my right. thing. If I'm going to pay for half our meal, like, thank God I don't date nowadays mm. because if I pay for your meal and I hold your door, I understand what that means. There is that, that I am the man and you're the woman, right? Mm-hmm. I'm being a chauvinistic, but that's very much what it means. If you don't want it to mean that, then you pay for half your meal. You can fucking hold your door too. Do you know what I mean? Like we can be equals that go on a date and mm-hmm. get to know each other. Mm-hmm. But if you want to take on the old fashioned role, well, guess what old fashioned means? It happens at the end of the night, guys. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's, okay. So, so, you know, actually the, the b- picking up the check on a, on a meal is a, is a great metaphor for this. Because I do those things, but I do them not because I'm a guy. It's because I'm, I'm trying to be polite. So what I actually like in that equation is I'm happy to, to pay for that check, but I like it if the girl offers. Yeah. I like there for just to be a little, let me take it. No, no, I, I'll do this. I appreciate that, but let me do this. Or, oh, you want to do this one? Okay. You know, I mean, every once in a while, something like that, because it's just, it's it feels like there's common sense and there's some reciprocity to it. So it's like, I, and, and to, to connect it to what we're talking about and the muscled up guy on the beach and all that kind of stuff, do can we get to a place in our society where we just sterilize everything and that doesn't happen on either side of the equation? Yeah, I guess we could probably get there. But rather than that, if we can just em- employ common sense. And so what I'm looking to here is I'm just wondering when this whole you know episode is, is concluded, if I look at the body of it, what percentage am I going to be okay with absolutely ostracizing? I mean, probably certainly the, the Harvey Weinstein's and the Bill Cosby's. Sure, those guys over there. But is it going to be no brainers? But is it going to be eighty percent? Is it going to be ninety percent? Is it going to be seventy percent? I don't know. But it seems like there's going to be this this chunk that I may look at and go, you know, that doesn't look great. But I can't. I can't just. Yeah. find the guilt button there and I'm wondering if that really belongs in any part of this conversation well I just I hope that everybody who's you know and, and for a lot of the good reasons we're going to get rid of some of the old-fashioned thought processes I don't I laugh at a woman who sits there and goes I expect to be taken care of by a man but it's like okay cool well then you're going to do all the womanly things too like well no doesn't work that way not in my mind it's like well if you want to step into this old-fashioned agreement then you do your part i'll do mine but i think a lot of people want the best of both worlds they want to be able to take all the advantages of like well we're equals but hold on a second but i'm a lady i'm like no that shit doesn't count now there's no such thing as you're a lady i'm a man we're both human beings right (laughs) that works across the board yeah i i guess i just don't i think the the folly becomes in trying to draw the line that distinctively to to begin with. Well, I think that that's actually what we're probably going to have to do. 
either that or it's no longer that's a manly thing to do or that's a feminine thing to do i think it just needs to become uh, human inhuman you know it's just yeah i i if 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 you know if if it's good for the goose it's good for the gander type thing so yeah. like if if i if i can't do it then the woman can't do it either and if i'm allowed to do it then she can do it yeah if if the worst that comes of this is that and it's it's not a bad thing actually so i guess i shouldn't characterize it as the worst but if if it just causes everybody to just sort of take a look you know just to do a do a check of your surroundings and what goes on and what you're doing what other people are doing and that kind of thing a a general awareness i think that's fine but i just i worry about having a bunch of empty frames that we're trying to force pictures into you know like all right i've got a i've got a uh uh, 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 a prosecutorial, you know, mindset right now, and I'm going to find some people to force into. No, here. Well, I, I just, just want to be careful. Do, if we go through everything and reevaluate, it, as much as women rights, you know, I'm all for navigating. Mm-hmm. There's things that men still get screwed over on. I mean, alimony is an old-fashioned thought process that if a woman was married to a man for 20 years and you divorce her. What is she supposed to do? She doesn't mm-hmm. know how to do anything. Mm-hmm. She knows how to cook and raise babies. If that's the kind of woman that people think still exists, if that's the category you put you in, then I'm okay with alimony. But if you're saying that, no, that we're all equal and we're all human beings and, and can contribute to society, then if we get a divorce, why do I owe you any more than you owe me? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you think about it. It's like, go get a job. I mean, we would say that to a man. Yeah. Figure this shit out, dude. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you would take into account the common sense aspect in that situation of, okay, did that? Let, let me give you a scenario then, just to play devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. If it's a situation of your, uh, I'll tell you what, let's let's take uh, let's take the Obamas for example. They were both attorneys. Okay. So if at some point Michelle Obama stops practicing law because they make a decision that. You know, he we're he, we're going to be a single income family, and he's going to write books and maybe run for office and all that kind of stuff. Then maybe there is a case that over a period of time she gave up a sizable amount of income to assist him in his income, like to come work with him. So if she's not being paid to do that, as like a part well, of then this, I go on a case by case. Yeah, if you're. Michelle Obama and you show that you had a degree but if you're some girl who just graduated high school and married a guy who started a business I supported him the whole time fuck you You I I just don't agree with that thought process no that part makes that'd be like if my wife decides to go ahead and open up her own makeup line Mm -hmm. well I supported her I mean it's like no yeah but I mean that's just marriage I'm sure you guys did things back and forth where do you start dividing who did what and who contributed what to the relationship to get what out of it once relationship is over with yeah I just I, I guess I hope that that this type of conversation, people will at least spend this, however long we've spent talking about this subject, will at least spend this amount of time employing a little deductive reasoning, talking about facts, looking at certain situations, rather than just off with everybody's heads. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because that's where the... That's I mean it's a it's an old cliche but that's where the term witch hunt comes from. I mean there was an actual witch hunt, you know. It's that panic. It's that that cultural like like pack mentality uh you know, uh, uh, fever pitch kind of stuff where you get the, you know, the torches and the pitchforks and you, you know, the villagers riot and all that kind of stuff and that's that's never a good thing. Never a good thing. 
All right. Uh, let's do this. Uh, Frank, tell everybody how they can get uh, one of these new phone booth fighting T-shirts. I just happen to have a model here if you're uh, watching our phone booth fighting YouTube channel. That is our new uh, newest design in the merch section at uh, phoneboothfighting.com. Uh, pick that up now. And, Frank, there is an Amazon banner on phoneboothfighting.com. It's the Christmas season. That means everybody's buying their, their uh, Christmas presents and their Hanukkah presents. Why not? Uh, click through that Amazon banner and uh, do it that way. Tell everybody how that benefits us. Well, by uh, doing all your wants and needs, your Christmas shopping, especially for that time of season that it is, uh, a small percentage at no extra charge to you comes back to here to help us out with the show. That's it. If you want to give us uh, our own personal Christmas present, you know what you can do? Look up Phone Booth Fighting and iTunes. Click on the five stars and write a favorable line or two in the review section. We'll read those on the air. We'll consider it a personal Christmas gift from you to us, and uh, we'll love you for it this holiday season. Uh, tell them how to follow us on social media, Frank. Facebook and Instagram. You can follow us at Phone Booth Fighting. Snapchat and Twitter is just Phone Booth Fight. Give old Travis a follow on his Twitter over there at Scuba T Diving. T is in Travis. Follow the progress of that new uh, Las Vegas Raiders Stadium. Is that, is that what they're going to be called? Are they the Las Vegas Raiders? Yeah. yeah. How come we had to have a hockey team called the Golden Knights? Just real quick questions. Anybody know why they have to be golden? I, I don't know where they came up with that name. Do you I'm know? Not sure. Didn't you go to the hockey game last night? Yeah. How was it? It was cool. We got our asses kicked. Oh, yeah? Who kicked the who kicked the Golden Knights' ass? <laughs> do, you, do you know the answers? That's why you're no, asking? No, I actually don't well, know. I think it happened. was Dallas. Oh, the Dallas Stars? Yeah. Yeah. But they're not the Dallas Golden Stars. Why Why did, Why does that team have to be the Golden Knights? Wouldn't it be better just Las Vegas Knights? I don't know. Well, maybe because if you say Las Vegas Knights, it sounds too similar to... But see, that's what I like about it. Yeah. That it's got a... It could be Knights with or yeah, without a K, yeah. double entendre. Like, when are Knights ever Golden? If anything, aren't they silver usually? Because they have suits of armor. They don't have Iron gold Man, suits yeah. of armor. I don't know. Maybe it's a throwback to the Vegas thing. Golden. Yeah, but I, but I really don't know. We, I, I don't either. But but hockey, uh, it was exciting. Hockey's a cool game, man. I like oh yeah. It. Had you been to a professional hockey? Nope. Really, that's first no, time. First time. First time being a T-Mobile too. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'll bet you. Good bratwurst. Oh yeah. I know who was there. If he definitely was, off the diet last night. Yeah, <laughs> I know who was there. If uh, if he was in town, is uh, Vinnie Paul Abbott uh, because uh, uh, the uh, drummer from Hell Yeah and Pantera. Because uh, I he saw is a, him. Did Does you he see have him? like a big like facial yep. like? He's probably the, wearing like a crazy cowboy hat. Short and kind of heavy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's I was Vinny. trying to get up the stairs, the escalator, and somebody had to turn around and take a bunch of pictures. And yep. I looked over, and like, man, that guy looks so familiar. Yep. And people are taking pictures with him. It's like, all right, he's obviously somebody. I've seen him somewhere. That's Vinny. Yeah. And the thing about Vinny is, he was. Uh, he reminded me a lot of the old, the guy that just died. Uh, who's the guy? Uh, was it the guy that had the slot machine statue? Oh, Lemmy. Yeah, yeah look, he is kind of like He looks yeah, like him, yeah. but just a shorter, fatter That's version. That's true. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So the thing about Vinny is that, uh, of course, Pantera's from uh, from from uh, Arlington, Texas, uh, where I'm from. And uh, uh, the thing is, he was for years and years a huge Dallas Stars fan. And even when they won the Stanley Cup, Pantera composed their, uh, they had a song that they, it was like their walkout music. Oh, that's right, music. the whole party thing. This, this yeah. the, the thing, the, uh, the Stanley yeah, Cup where they, the house. Yeah, or, it got the dent at Vinnie Paul's house, that whole story we told on the air. So uh, when I, last time. Didn't we just see him at the comedy show? He came out for your thing, right? Yeah, he did, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, you I, met him. I, I know, I'm staring at the guy. I'm like, I, I know who this person is. I'm, yeah. 
I think we all have a picture together. <laughs> That's what happens when you get in the head a lot, dude. That's right. But he was super excited because uh, when we were talking about it last, because he still loves the Dallas Stars, but now since he lives here in Las Vegas, he's got a Las Vegas hockey team to focus cool. on. So he's he's very excited about that. Yeah, no, it was a blowout. Well, I think it was the first loss two that they had like in the last you know six weeks or something. I was like, ah, fucking good night for me to show up. Listen huh? to you, boy. You are ready for the uh, the. Golden Knights post game show with all yeah. these stats you've got Just going on. Just listen to everybody around me. Yeah. Yeah. I had to ask questions. I didn't understand the red and the blue line. Oh, yeah. The icing and yeah, some of Yeah, I thought icing rules. was when, like, if you were to skate and throw ice on somebody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In my brain, I'm like, icing. Like, oh, does that mean you, like, you shave sideways on the, the, uh, uh, the, the ice? Yeah, no, that's not what that means. Hockey does have some uh, crazy rules you got to learn. All right, well, there's a little bonus hockey talk for you you weren't expecting. Uh, for Travis and for Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter, and we'll see you right back here next time on Phone Booth Fighting.